This is Dr. Dave coming to you live from SoCal. Today's topic is God's traffic cones in your life. Dash, look back. Since it's such a weird title, I'm going to repeat it. God's traffic cones in your life, look back. Have you ever driven to work, pick somebody up, and there's these traffic cones. There's a guy out there with a stop or slow, and they've changed lanes and their traffic cones, and they divert you off the freeway, or they make you go right instead of left, and that's the metaphor we're going to use today. Because God directs our path. I picked out over 70 scriptures, narrowed it down to 50, then narrowed it down to 12 to 15. To show you where scripture tells you that God is leading you, if, caveat, if you do your part, what is your part? Your part is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Your part is accepting God's free gift of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We'll read that one. Your part is to be still. We'll read that verse. Because you could just turn around, run over the traffic cones, risk getting a ticket, but not going to go to jail, and just go any way you want. You have free will. So when God puts traffic cones in your life, they may seem unnecessary, inconvenient, a waste of your time. They don't make sense. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We'll read that verse. So I'm going to give you three examples in my life, my family's life, where now when I look back, look back at the traffic cones. They're all in disarray and they're going this way and that way. But if I look back at them from a drone view, an aerial shot, they make a lot of sense. The three examples I'm going to give you is one, me getting into medical school. And the traffic cones God had to put on us, the family, me. And how it turned out. And how without those traffic cones, I wouldn't have gotten there. Now I'm a semi-retired, refired I like that. Pastor Bob Shirak in Novi, Michigan. I never lived in Michigan in my life, but my son did. I watch him all the time. Novi Church in Michigan, Shirak, S H I R O C K. I think it comes from Shiraco, which is Italian. And 
look up his messages, go down to the bottom. He's going to the Bible in two and a half years. And if you really want to learn the entire Bible with seminary quality notes, it's there for free. It's there for the taking. And you will learn. He has a unique ability to take a chapter in Judges or in Numbers or in Deuteronomy and condense them into three or four life lessons that you can apply tomorrow, today, right now, when you leave. But today we're going to stay back on focus. You know I'm tangential. I just go off. But we're going to go to see how God's traffic comes work first let's charge up with a little bit of god's word and how he guides our steps and we have no clue what he's doing but when we look back then it makes sense is it inconvenient yes make makes us wait change direction but again it's a metaphor Psalms 46.10 said, Be still and know that I am God. I don't need to read the rest of the verse. That is an important thing in our busy life with our phones and our texting and our needless Instagrams and pictures and selfies and how many likes. And Put your phone down. Put my phone down. Get in a closet. Get in a dark room. Go sit on a park bench. Be still. Just be still. Stop. This hectic lifestyle. Stop. Talk to God. If you have a major decision coming up, a family decision, or your life's not going the way it should seek him out he's there waiting for you be still that's in psalm 46 10. i will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go i will counsel you with my eyes upon you psalms 32 8. god has a plan for your life he sees bigger potential than you do Moses was called upon by God to go to Pharaoh and get the people out of Israel. He says, God, I, I can't even talk. I'm a tartamudo. I'm a stutterer. I'm not a statesman. I, I'm old. He goes, I can use you. Everybody can be used. So, If God calls upon you and puts something on your heart, he knows you can do it. He has a plan for your life. The famous Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. We think we're smart. We think we not got it together. We're going to do it our way, but not, not going to work. You're going to fall on your face over and over and hit a wall over and over. Why 
want you to give God a go. Hand over the controls. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Trust him. Trust him. In difficult situations. And this is not going to work out. I'm in a jam. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. Again, traffic cones. He's directing your path. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. Isaiah 30, 21 says, And the ears shall hear a word behind them, saying, This is the way, walk in it. God will direct you. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. So you have a path. You have a journey. You're on a journey. On your tombstone will be a dash. 1985, dash, whatever. What happened in the dash? What happened between when you were born and when you died? When you get to heaven, God said, you look at, I had you doing this. You never called me. You never checked in with me. You never accepted my free gift. Your ways are man's ways. They're not God's ways. They may lead to temporary success, but temporary success and the love of money and luxury items get stale. It's like day-old bread. After you've had your yacht and your kilo pad and whatever the rich and famous can do with their money, it gets old. It doesn't satisfy. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart. Only God can fill that. Nothing else. And you can't take your yacht with you. Someone else is going to get it. And you're not going to be here that long. You don't even know what tomorrow brings, God says. What are you worrying about today when you don't even, tomorrow when you don't even know what today brings? Then you have no lease on life. You don't have a contract that says you're going to live 70 years. You live day by day. Your heart beats 100,000 times a day. Times 365 times your age. Isaiah 48, 17 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. So let's go back to the first story. Remembering these verses, because we're going to come back to them. The first story is me trying to get into medical school and I applied as you may have heard on other podcasts to 52 medical schools I was so determined but what happened before that I had a visitation this is BC before I became a Christian before Christ entered my life 
I was a police officer in East Los Angeles. I was driving to Code 7, which is breakfast. A presence came into my car. I was a one-man car. I was going to Felix Pantry on either Whittier or Beverly Boulevard. I can't remember which. It's a Mexican restaurant that had the best breakfast burritos. Randy Mixon, another police officer, was waiting for me. On the way over there, 6, six o'clock in the morning, this presence that came into my car, English or Spanish, which I know a little bit of, I don't have words. It almost filled like the entire compartment of the passenger side, not like a gigantic Ghostbuster you know, blob feeling. This presence was there on his side, not on my side. And it was so real. It wasn't scary. It was peaceful. And I didn't feel him. I didn't smell him. I didn't touch him, her or him. or. But it was a visitation from God. I, I knew that. You'll read many times in the Bible when an angel goes to Mary. First thing, she's she's struck with fear. Well, she sees the angel. Elizabeth, before giving birth to John the Baptist, was visited by an angel. She was filled with fear. Do not be afraid, was the first words. I wasn't filled with fear. I was captivated, absolutely. But I was still driving. The visitor said one thing three times. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. Presence left. There's an emptiness inside the car. So the traffic cones start there. God had a plan for my life. I was a police officer. I never wanted to become a doctor. It was out of the blue. I wasn't a good student. I had a bachelor's in criminology, which does little or no good for anything outside criminal justice system. Long story short, I went through all the pre-med stuff while I was working. I retired, took my $23,000 out of the PERS account, my retirement. And I applied to 52 medical schools after finishing my pre-med prerequisites for medical school. 52 medical schools. And Sackler School of Medicine interviewed me from Tel Aviv. They went to Beverly Hills, went to a very nice apartment or very nice um, hotel room. I think it was Beverly Hilton. And I walked in and they said, you know, the climate is very much like Southern California. We have three or two spots for upcoming medical school class. And tell us why you want to be a doctor. Tell us why your grades are kind of bad. <laughs> and I had an interview, and my name was David. What's not to like? 
I would have to leave in two weeks to Israel. I'd leave my wife my, and my two children behind at my house and start medical school in English. Great opportunity. I would have loved to study in Israel. I was fulfilling a commandment. This was nothing that I dreamed up. In the interim, I was injured on duty before I retired and I accepted Christ one night after a dream where I had grabbed him by the hair and pushed him out of my life. Woke up crying, couldn't talk. And my wife and I went on the buddy plan, you know, the Marine Corps have that. She had a dream. We called our babysitter, who was a Christian, went over to their house. They explained what's going on. We held hands. We accepted the Lord. In Matthew 3.16, let me look up here. Philippians, Psalms, Romans, Proverbs, Luke, Proverbs, John. Oh, it's John 3.16, sorry. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. So that's what we did. We believed in his name. We were filled with his spirit. Our heart was complete. That missing link in our heart was complete. And that was 42 years ago. We were on fire. Oof. After that, we talked to everybody about the Lord. We could not stop talking about it. Did it cause friction? Oh, yeah. Family friction, work friction. Police officers said, look at the uh, tail end on that chick. And I would say, I'm not married to her. She's, we shouldn't be looking at her. What's wrong with you? What happened to you? And I told him, I had a dream. Everybody thought I was nuts, including my family, because you're going to be a doctor. You're a cop. You're a P2 training officer with six, seven years experience. Just go back to work. Must have been a hallucination or something. But anyway. I accepted Christ, and he started laying down these cones. So the cones was a visitation, 52 medical schools. Sackler was one in Israel. Didn't get in there. I didn't get into any of the state schools. Beautiful letterheads. Thank you for your application. And remember, applications are like $50 to apply back then. This is 1979, 1980, 1981 circa and there was a mcgill university 
a very um, prestigious university in Montreal. I applied there. I would have loved to have gone there. Did not get accepted. Got a phone interview, but not a real interview. Um, I got a courtesy interview at USC. And they said, why should we take you? We have a stack. And that time without computers, it was all printed. A stack, two stacks about three feet high with perfect MCATs, medical college aptitude test, perfect 4.0s before it went to 4.5 and 4.6. And why should we take you? And I sold myself. I've touched the earth. I've been a cop. I've seen the worst of people. I help people now. I get called to every hotspot where there's a problem. Human interaction. It's a stabbing, it's a shooting. Someone's getting beat up. Someone's getting killed or stabbed. Fighting, hitting the, fry, the head with a frying pan. Raping, tying up a woman. Remember these phones we used to have, the dial phones that had these really long cords so you could be real cool and walk around the house while you're talking to somebody, but the cord's like 30 feet long. Well, they used that to hog tie her, rape her, tie her hands and her feet afterwards. And we caught him. He seemed to hit his head on the door sill on the way into the car for some reason. Tried to prevent that. BC, BC. All right. So no Sackler, no McGill University. Then I tried Montserrat. So a little tiny ad in the LA Times and said, Medical School, American University of Montserrat. Where's Montserrat? I call my buddy, Dan. Dan, let's go to Montserrat together. Cool. Let's apply. Where is it? I don't know. But sounds easy. We can get in and we can transfer back with the ECFMGs, which are our test to get foreign medical graduates back into the system if you want to practice in the United States, Canada, or the United Kingdom. Where is it? It's actually a tiny island in, in the West Indies. So you can see that, like, I was beyond passionate. I was beyond driven. I was fulfilling a commandment from God. Nothing would stop me. Nothing would stop me. Was it selfish to drag my family through this? No, because it didn't come from me. It wasn't born out of my desire. I, like many kids growing up like you, maybe you had a doctor kid, a little stethoscope. But I really like to retail um, grocery. I like to work in a grocery store. So when I would play, I'd put some benches out and take all the canned goods out of my mom's cupboards and she would play along we had a little basket and she would and then i would check out on like a little pretend uh machine and and pack her bags and then i put all the cans back and do it over again so she was a good sport she did it about 10 times until she got saturated on on um, on the grocery store but we didn't have high ambitions police officer was everything i ever dreamt about and i had fulfilled that 
came first in my police academy, the San Bernardino Sheriff's Academy, um, which I tip my hat to them because there's their own recruits, their own recruits are in there from the San Bernardino Sheriff's Office. And then there's this guy that I came from California City, which is a six, seven man department. You heard it, six, seven man department. So when you're on patrol, you are it. Here I was, 21, just married, on patrol. The desert of California City is 186 square miles with three, 4,000 people, really scattered out. And you're on your own. But I had five bars. We're close to Edwards Air Force Base, and there would be a lot of drunks coming and going. So get called to a bar fight. And you're that. So I went through that. And then I had to switch in my life after seven years in the police department. So McGill didn't work out. American University of Montserrat was just too far. It's a tiny island in the West Indies. It didn't seem practical. I visited Guadalajara with another friend of mine who was a cop that actually got shot three times. And that was an earlier broadcast that I had to pull because after speaking to him, he did not want, for personal reasons, his story of being shot um, three times and surviving on the airways. And I'm heard in 26 countries. So I pulled the first two. I would like to get permission to put them back on someday and then finish it by telling you what happened. But I can tell you that I did go to Guadalajara with him and he was very much into this Trapper John um, movie mash. So he wore these bright colored Hawaiian shirts like we don't stick out already in, in Mexico. And it's like, Mike, put on just a regular shirt. You know, now I'm like Trevor John. I'm, I'm going to be a thoracic surgeon. So we had dreamed, went to the University of Guadalajara and met with some American students. They were like they were in a communist country. They were like, don't look over there. Don't take any pictures. Don't do this. Don't do that. So I'm watching you. It's like, what? We went to their house. Oh, my Lord. There's five or six people living on the floor, sleeping in sleeping bags. They put their fruit and vegetables in betadine, iodine, the brown stuff they do when they before they do surgery. It's iodine. They have to soak their vegetables in iodine to kill off the parasites and the E. coli. And otherwise, he says you'll be you'll miss a week of school because you'll have the NARS. The NARS are when your GI system's on the run faster than you can get there. So Sackler, McGill, American University of Montserrat, 52 schools in the United States, all negative. There was one school I applied to also called Western University Health Sciences in Pomona. There was one ace up my sleeve. And that was 
Monterey, Mexico. They said it's a better school and you don't have to be freaked out about questioning the professor or, and you can get your book. So I applied, I got accepted, which isn't hard because they want your money. I went down there, I had to go take my whole family down there. We had a 79 Dodge Aspen station wagon. I was underneath the car before I went to Monterey, Mexico, putting on JV Weld and a little magnet on my drive chain, my drive shaft, sorry, and a little piece of metal that when it went by it, the wire led up to the carburetor and I installed my first autopilot speed control in 1979, 1980, 81-ish. So we packed up the car. I had one boy in diapers, uh, poopy pants, and then another boy turning five who was just always wanting to hit the baseball. And, and I have a mother-in-law from Peru who didn't speak English and had hearing aids. So she was lucky because she could turn off her hearing aids. The distance from Downey, where we lived at the time, to Nuevo Laredo, and, and which is in Mexico, and Laredo, which is in Texas, is uh, 19 hours and 70, 57 minutes, so call it 20 hour drive. It's 1,641 miles. And I had a medical school called Western University that I didn't get accepted, I just mentioned, that was 28 miles from my house in Downey. So I went to Mont Monterey, I took all the tests, I passed, I was gonna go in the next class. Their classes start different than the United States. So we were going to start in the winter, right after Christmas. So we didn't put up Christmas lights, we had sold or given away almost all of our furniture. The rest, we could lease it, rent it, sell it. We had to get some money to pay the tuition and living expenses. We had to find a place in Mexico. Fortunately for us, the Lord had a plan. We met this very Christ-centered man named Beto Paz. He hugged me when I drove up in my 79 beat-up Aspen green, ugly green, not like nice green, ugly green station wagon with a poopy kid, one five-year-old, my mother-in-law, my wife, and me. He hugged us and hugged me like he knew me all his life and it felt that way. There's a connection between believers. And if you are one, or I hope you become one, you'll know what I mean. He put us up in a room, five of us in one room on the floor, and we stayed there for several weeks. We had a whole pile of junk on top of the car with a tarpaulin 
canvas covering, bungee straps, and all the things that were prohibited to enter Mexico. You couldn't bring a heater, anything electric, a hair dryer. Somehow, God got us through Nuevo Laredo checkpoint. We had to stop and they search your car. And I looked in the corner, very busy, and there were suitcases just like ours. And everything was taken out, scattered everywhere. Do they put it back in for you? No. They're just looking for what they're looking for. People in the parking lot pulling their wallet out, making deals. He came over. My mother-in-law said something in Spanish that I don't remember. He pushed on our big suitcases and all our heaters and hair dryers and clothing and stuff that they would really like to confiscate. Uh, it's almost like God blinded their eyes. There was a checkpoint 46 kilometers further, a little tiny checkpoint, and it was stocked with everything they confiscated heaters and radios and alarm clocks and and everything electric that you could think of and expensive clothing and jewelry and they just it was hunting season and we pulled up and i i tell us the way it is god put a glaze over this guard's eyes almost like he was in a trance and he didn't pull our stuff out. He didn't get us out of the car. Everybody was out of the car on the sides of the roads with all these, como se llama, Arduinos? Guards going through their luggage, getting bribes, getting paid off. I didn't give him any money. He waved us right through. Got to Monterey, Beto, sleeping on the floor, duct taping the poopy diaper kid who was uh, just learning to walk. Everything is cement and tile. So when your kid starts to learn to walk, you know, if they make a misstep, they're going to hit something hard. And we duct tape his car seat to a chair, and that was his high chair. Cheerios everywhere. We enlisted, enlisted, enrolled my five-year-old in the kindergarten in Monterey, Mexico. With the stroller and our babies at our side, we went to a very rich Mexican's home who was building a large apartment complex in a nice part of the city. And they had one vacancy left. And it wasn't even done yet, but it would be done in time for the semester. We went there, and now the tables were turned. We were asking a Mexican family for permission to rent one of their apartments. The butler came to the door. Everything was very formal. They invited us into the foray and foyer and he came down like with a smoking jacket on, very rich, very formal, very well-educated, 
very rich Mexican family. And here we are, me with my goggles, losing my hair, my wife from South America in shock. She's going back to a third world country when she left one. One's in a high chair, I'm sorry, in a stroller, and my other boy is five. And we're asking, can we rent one of your new apartments? So he asked us some questions, very polite, very impressive man. Long story short, we got the, we got the apartment. We put all our stuff in storage, stayed down there two, three weeks to get everything, everybody in school, and went back. But there was a big problem. The house wasn't renting. It wasn't leasing. It wouldn't sell. Whatever, whatever every agent, full commission, could not get any offers. Nobody. They came and looked. It was a nice house in a nice neighborhood right across from the school. It was Downey, California in the 80s, and that was a really nice city. Very safe. We had a beautiful fence yard, detached garage, everything you want. We lowered the price and lowered the price and lowered the price. Nothing. It would not lease. It would not rent. We're so low. We're way below the market. They would come and leave. The real estate ladies were just flabbergasted. I haven't seen anything like this. You're like two, three hundred dollars below asking for the square footage and, and the comps. Wouldn't lease, wouldn't rent. We needed that money. We needed, can't leave an empty house. We're ready to go. Our Everything is in Mexico. Our apartment is in Mexico. Our down payment is in Mexico. I had to go to the university in Monterey to pass a Spanish proficiency test. Just like we speak, we talk major in English in the United States, they major in Spanish. So she was a professor of Spanish language and a written and an oral test that I passed. I took their equivalent in English of the MCAT, passed, and we're ready to go. Before we left, we we're on a street called Washington Diagonal. Cars were zooming by. Some locals didn't like the fact that there were people from the United States there. So they'd yell things or throw things at us. But that's a small minority. For the most part, we went to the panduria, we got our pan dulce and cafecito, and we're just living in Mexico. That's the way it's gonna be. The school, however, was not the University of, Mexico, of Monterey. It was a private medical school, Monterey Medical School. It was at a bombed out looking apartment complex converted. The professors just wore, wore long white coats, walked around like they were gods, and blackboards with little tiny chairs for like elementary or high school. 
And that was it. No labs, no cadaver labs, no microbiology labs. This is clinical sciences. First two years of medical school are clinical sciences. I didn't see any microscopes, I didn't know sociology, not sociology, but um, cytology. And like I said, no cadaver labs for dissection, anatomy. My heart sunk. I'm going to come out of here half-baked. And then I have to fight my way back to the United States to get in to a residency after four years down there. Back to Washington Diagonal. Why do I remember that street? Because my wife had a complete breakdown. Complete breakdown. To just hit her. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Crying, sobbing. Two kids in the car, grandma's in the car. It's hot. People are looking. She's just hit the wall. She hit the wall. But God heard her voice. God had a plan. We were faithful in fulfilling the commandment that I received. If it wasn't going to be Sackler or Yale or Stanford or UCLA or USC or the list goes on, every state I applied to, writing my heart out why I wanted to be a police officer, a physician. One thing I did do before I left was I went back to Western New University Health Sciences, who now have not only a medical degree class of 150 students, class A everything, amphitheater, um, classes, audiovisual, everything is first class. The cadaver lab, perfectly ventilated, somewhere around 100 tables of bodies and body bags, professors that would teach you the dissection, cranial anatomy, cytology, microscope labs, hundreds of microscopes, first class. Since I didn't get into that, God led me to call them to meet with the president. I met with the president on just a courtesy interview, because I'd never gotten interviewed, I'd never got past the point of admission. I told him my story. He was a man, a Jewish man of faith. I told him my story. I said, no matter what, no matter where, I have to go. I'm going to be a physician. It would be extremely convenient and a blessing if I could go to Western U. You are 28 miles from my house. Right now, 
All my belongings are in Monterey, Mexico, and we're planning to leave in two weeks. So I'm going to continue this podcast in the next one. We're at 44.24. Um, I try to keep them around 45 minutes, so I will keep you on a cliffhanger, on a teaser, but I will get this next podcast out very soon, part two. Until then, God bless, and please come back and listen to the end of that story and two more. Goodbye.